going to we're going to start. I want to cover two things today. The first thing I want to do is I want to talk more about this idea of being connected to a tzaddik that the Altarba mentions here, or is known more commonly being connected to a rabbi. And then I want to continue on in the rest of the chapter. Okay. So we're going to start with the following story. There was a man who suffered a tremendous amount in life. That's an optimistic way to start a story, right? Yep. End of class. Okay. Also, suffer. Let's suffer. He Maybe suffered. He suffered. Genuine suffering. Okay. And he began to feel that maybe God had abandoned him. God was not really with him. God didn't really appreciate how hard his life really was. And um, this bothered him tremendously. So he hitched his wagon and he traveled to a man named Pinchas of Karatz. <laughs> What's so funny? <laughs> I think the name Pinchas is like one of the funniest names. Oh, I think we're all right. I know, I'm sorry. Her father's name. Your father's name's Pinchas. Yes. I love that name. I think it's so funny. Guys, we're not going to get to the announcement. Nope, not getting to the announcement. So, he traveled to a Pinchas of Karatz, also known as Pinchas Karatzer, because he was from Karatz. It's a town in Eastern Europe. Beyond that, I have no idea. And Pinchas Karzer was a disciple of the Baal Shem Tov, who was a Hasidic Rebbe. And the way his house was, was that uh, there was a courtyard, and you kind of had to go around the house to park your wagon in the courtyard. And so as, the, um, as this Jew is traveling on his wagon to Pinchas Karzer, he tra- goes around the house to park his Seems like people are holding in laughter. <laughs> I don't even know what's going on. Okay. Oh, that's, yeah. I'm still that's just so laughing at you. I don't. I... <laughs> you got Hannah doing this. <laughs> okay. Hey, everybody. So he tra- So he, as he goes with the wagon around Pinchas Karatzer's house to park the wagon, mm-hmm. and Pinchas Karatzer sticks his head out of the window. And he screams at him in Yiddish, not scream like screaming, like just says loudly so we can hear him, because after all traveling on the wagon, he says, if I know, you think God doesn't know? And the man didn't stop the wagon, he just circled around from Peter's Carson's house and went home. Now, so why did he travel to Pinchas Carter? Because he felt abandoned by God, and why did he go back home? Because Pinchas Carter said, if I know, you think God doesn't know? So when he asks you, this question to think about. I mean, granted, there's just some level of prophetic um, awareness that Pinchas Karatsu knows why he's coming, sticks his head out the window without even being told. But what exactly, what new piece of information did this man have that he didn't have before? Why was he, he was, he's traveling to his Rebbe because he feels abandoned by God. And his Rebbe tells him, well, if I know how hard it is for you, obviously God knows how hard it is for you, and now like, the problem is solved. Like, it's a weird story, right? about knowledge or attention? What do you mean? Um, sometimes I think the problems we have in life are not about lacking the solution. Like, 
we've never thought of the solution, but rather that like we don't know where to direct our attention and like what thing that we already know or what piece of advice we've already gotten is going to lead to the solution. Like sometimes you need clarity rather than like an actual okay. new thing. Right. So it's, it, he obviously understood. He was a believing Jew. He none knew that God knew how hard it was for him. Right. 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 So he wasn't, he wasn't attentive to that. He wasn't feeling it. He wasn't connected to it. Okay. So why did he travel to a princess car? So what do you think princess car was going to do? Answer his question. What? Answer all his questions. Say that God knows. And then why does princess Carter say like, why does he say if I know, obviously God knows. So why is he traveling to Pinchas Karzer? Because on the one hand, he feels like God doesn't feel how hard my life is, but he does feel like his rabbit feels how hard his life is. And what does Pinchas Karzer tell him? That's wrong. I only know because of Right. My knowing is really... God knows. And so if you feel that I know how hard it is, then you actually already feel... God's knowing. In other words, with this story... And there's many, many, many stories like this. But this story is the idea is that the, that the relationship with the tzaddik is the way the soul gets in touch with its own sense of godliness. So Pinchas Karatzer was saying like this, your sense of godliness, of, of, your sense of, of me knowing how hard it is for you, me being connected to you, me, that is, that's not just I'm a good human being. That's actually the, 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 the channel through which you have a sense of God. And when he put it in that, when he put it in that framework, and he heard it from Pinchas own mouth, that shift, which was actually rather sudden, he, was enough for him, and he just turned around and went right back home. Yeah. I feel like a big difference with why someone might go to the Rebbe, even if you believe that God also knows your struggle or whatever, um, is that the Rebbe will you, you you have this physical, undeniable experience of this person sat in the room, heard me, looked at me spoke to me, whatever it is. And it's, it's just hard to like, sometimes you have this feeling with God that God obviously sees me right now, but you can't necessarily summon the spiritual experience of that. Whereas when you go to the physical Rebbe's physical house or whatever, mm-hmm. 770, like the physical person is there, makes actual eye contact with you. Like some sort of undeniable connection happens. Right. So, so what the Baal Shem Tov said is that this idea that there's a spiritual connection needs to be translated into an actual relationship. And, and that's what the Tanya says, that everybody's connected, but the question is whether it's coming from the back or not. In the back, just to make this very simple, people that, you're, that you are, have a relationship with where you feel that you're coming closer together, that's called the face, and people that you um, might be involved with, but you prefer to keep your distance from, that's called the back. And so all souls are connected to the souls, these head souls, these tzaddikim, but sometimes that relationship is like the back and sometimes that relationship is like the front. And the Baal Shem Tov said that that, that relationship is going to be an, a frontal relationship, a relationship that's constructed, that's building, that's growing. It needs to be personal. And if it's personal, the most obvious way is to embody it in their real life interactions, which began a whole new idea of people actually traveling to a Rebbe and seeing the Rebbe and talking to the and those kinds of things. What the Alter Rebbe wants or one of the things Alter wants to point out or focus on here is that that's not the key. The key is the connection and the relationship itself, the attachment. And because that's the key, um, the question is not 
how tangible the tzaddik is, but how, what's the quality of that relationship with the tzaddik? In other words, just use a simple example. You can be physically closer to somebody and have a, and be, but have a more distant relationship with them and be more physically distant from someone and have a close relationship with them, right? That makes sense to everybody? Like, I am much closer physically um, to all of you right here, right now, and yet I am much closer to my own family than I am to you on an emotional level. Does that make sense? Right. So, if the idea is the relationship, then it's, then, then it's not about, then it has to all be about the quality of the relationship. Now, is it true that when you see someone and interact with you that can help enhance the quality of the relationship? Sure. But the experience of the seeing the tzaddik per se is not enough. It's all about developing that kind of a relationship. Okay. Now, yeah. It is kind of cool. It is kind of cool. And in many other Hasidic groups, the idea was it's enough for the for the for the non for the non Rebbe, the Chassid, and the regular person to experience that coolness and the and not to appreciate what out of the depth of what's going on. It will work all the same. The Alter Rebbe wants us to understand what's happening and to realize that ultimately the issue is not the prophecy. The issue is not um, the, 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 the scholarship. The issue is this thing having to do with the godly soul. And because the issue is with the godly soul, it's about cultivating a relationship between your soul and their soul. Okay, yeah. So we talked about prophets and all these other like precursor ideas before the Baal Shem Tov. How, what is the like or the new thing of attaching yourself. I mean, there's a lot of ideas here with like friends, rabbi, prophet, king, kohanim, like. The idea is that your own godly soul, its health is directly proportional to how good your relationship is with the the tzaddik. And is that what it means when it talks in Pirkei Avot, which is the same place that you got the like rabbi and and, um, friend thing from? It also talks about like basking in the dust of the feet of the sages and like making it, your house a greeting place for. It people. could be. There are people who interpret it. Different Hasidic rebbe's have interpreted those in different ways. Yeah, okay. the Alter Rebbe is using it on the one the, you're referring to the teaching to cleave to the scholar. Okay. Okay. Now, oh, if you want to make a few important notes and then tell some stories to illustrate these points, because one thing is that although in principle any tzaddik would work. Right? If we continue our analogy of the body, um, you can't just graft uh, your pinky into your brain. It doesn't work like that. Right? There's, your pinky there has nerves that come through your pinky, go up their arms, right? And there's, there's, there's neural pathways that go through the nervous system. And so one of the things that, again, it's not in the Tanya, but it is in the Kabbalah that the Tanya is basing off of, is that it is not the case that any soul can just attached to any tzaddik because you need to kind of connect to the head souls from which your soul derives. Kind of the same way you have like in a nervous system. The nerves all in my hand are connecting all through the nerves that go down my arm. They can't connect their arms right. So you have to, if, if, if your soul, kind of in the whole supernal system of this, is more attached to the left side, you can't connect to a right side tzaddik. That's just like the, just like your fingers on your right side are going to connect through the nerves on your right side all the way back up to your spinal cord, and so you can't just like arbitrarily pick a tzaddik, and so there's an idea that that you know it's a it's a question of which tzaddik and and how does one connect and how does one find. And I'm not going to go to answer that question, 
But just to illustrate how serious this is, there was a famous chassid um, by the name of Rapil of Parach. He was called the Hill of Parach because he was from Parach. So he's also known in Yiddish as the Hill of Parach. And he was originally a chassid of the Rebbe of Chernobyl, Ramatul of Chernobyl. And he found Tanya, and he really liked Tanya, he wanted to become a chassid of the Alter Rebbe's son, the Mitzvah Rebbe. And so he went to his Rebbe and said, I, I want to switch Rebbes. And um, you know what Ramatul Chernobyl told him? He said, if you leave me, you'll end up on your back. Now, what does it mean to end up on one's back? Have you ever seen a corpse? So How did it, yeah, it's a, it's a euphemism for lying like flat again. Oh. Okay, now why was he saying that? No. Yeah, it sounds like that. Because it's not, because he's not connected to that. If my finger were to say, I would like to detach from the hand, from the, le- the right hand to become attached to the left hand, say, okay, that's not going to work very well. Like if you cut off the finger, then what happens? Finger. Okay. Couldn't someone be connected to a rebbe that they're yeah, actually not connected to, though, and like have a rebbe that they are more connected to? Yeah. And then like have a healthy. So sometimes that happens. There was, there was, act, I mean, there's sometimes that happens. There was, there was a, I forgot his name. There was a chassid named Gelbstein who was a chassid of the Kotzker Rebbe and he wanted to become a chassid of the third Chabad Rebbe. And his Rebbe told him, yeah, yeah, it's fine. Like, your, 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 your soul will not work with him just as well. Wait, wait, there's more to the story. So Hill Hill Parcher, he he felt this great drawing to go to one Rebbe, the Mitzvah Rebbe, the second Chabad Rebbe. On the other hand, his Rebbe told him that your soul is so deeply deriving life from mine, if you separate from me, you're not going to be able to survive that process. Like, you know, I mean, you could, you could, like, you could do some sort of Frankenstein rewiring of the souls, but that's a dangerous process. And if you cut yourself off from me, it's not going to go well. You're going to die. But he couldn't take it. And so in the middle of the night, one time, he slipped out of town and headed to Lubavitch. And he, was, he um, went to Lubavitch. And on the way, the wagon flipped over. And he, he fell out of the wagon, got back in the wagon, made it to Lubavitch, had a private audience with the Mitzvah. And the first thing he told him is that, Motul Chernobyl told me that if, I, uh, that if I separate myself from him to attach to you, I'll, I'll land you know, on my back. And so the Mitzvah says, and did you fall out of the wagon? I said, yeah. Did you land on your back? And he says, I did. He says, well, who do you think caught you? Meaning, yes, you, you, you did cut yourself off from him. And yes, you really should have died. But I was able to somehow grab your soul and attach it to mine. Now, this idea of souls connecting from one thing to another, from one tzaddik to another tzaddik, is not just like, a, it's not a matter of, it, it, it's a matter of metaphysical physiology. Like if you were to cut off a limb from one part of the body and try and like, put it on another part of the body. In theory, could you make that work? Yeah. Like in theory, we could cut off a finger and like try and figure out how to get the nerves attached. We could, right? But we all understand that's a very risky thing to do. Okay? It's not about risky. Huh? Well, you might lose your finger in the process. But if it's already cut off, then it's already Right, well, well, if you have a choice of not cutting it off to begin with. Okay. So there are a lot of stories, <laughs> there are a lot of stories, both in Kabbalah and in Chassidus about this idea that the, that that the idea that, that one's soul maintains its sense of godliness and grows in sense of godliness through a connection to a tzaddik is not something that a person just arbitrarily picks, but is actually rooted in which soul is your soul connected to. And when you find that soul, you have to work on strength relationship with that tzaddik. 
Now, um, this idea was one of the main, not the only, but one of the main things that the opponents of Chassidus found very controversial with Chassidus. Because what does that do? It puts a, in all the other relationships that we spoke about yesterday, about the king, about um, the prophet, about a rabbi, even though all those people are part of facilitating your individual relationship with Hashem, at the end of the day, they're just dealing with one aspect of it. But what's the idea of a chassidic rabbi? They're now saying that there's somebody that's actually mediating the entire thing. In other words, a king plays a role in your relationship with God, but just a role. The prophet, a, a role. Your teacher's a role. But at the end of the day, there's still kind of some room for a direct sense between you and God. But what happens when you put this idea of a chassidic rabbi, that your whole connection to God is your, through your godly soul, and your godly soul's health depends on your relationship with this tzaddik, then that means that your entire relationship with God is being mediated through this other person. Does that sound a little off-putting to some people? Sure. Okay. Am I, is my job here to make it sound less off-putting? No, but the, it, it was controversial for a reason, and it still is controversial. Many people are idea, idea with, okay with the idea of a Rebbe if you relegate a Rebbe to one of those other roles we spoke about yesterday. But the way the Baal Shem Tov described it, and this is, again, this is not unique to Tanya. I'm going to get to actually a second how the Alter Rebbe kind of like, to a certain degree, lessens the intensity of this whole thing. Um, was that... The, the, the relationship of everything that you have with God is through your soul, and your soul depends on the, the connection to the tzaddik, and you have to develop that relationship. So one of, the, one of the things that you would find in many Hasidic works, not Tanya, is that if you want to feel more love of God, travel to the tzaddik. You want to feel more fear of God, travel to the tzaddik. You want to have more you trust in God. Right. Well, you always usually say the tzaddik, or, right, and then you have to figure out who's the tzaddik for you. Yeah. Okay. And then, just one second, I want to finish this thought. And then because different tzaddikim have different approaches, you have to relate to your tzaddik in their way. And there becomes a whole, a whole new aspect of divine service, which is contrary to what we tend to think nowadays, which is I find somebody, a teacher who fits my personality, now kind of works the other way around. If this is the tzaddik I'm supposed to connect to and they have an approach that's different than what I'm comfortable with, then who's the one who has to change? Me. And so you would have um, many times that tzaddikim would have different um, customs or practices and the people that are trying to connect them would struggle to fully relate. And in fact, the first person who had this problem was the Baal Shem Tov. So one of the practices of the Baal Shem Tov that his disciples found very hard to, to integrate with was the amount of love and respect, not just love, but actual respect that the Baal Shem Tov had for ignorant Jews. Jews who didn't know which way to hold the sitter. And some of the people who had these lofty souls, they, they, they had a hard time had, of relating to that and had a hard time of coming to understand that. And so there became this whole new aspect of Judaism, which is learning to connect to your tzaddik or your rebbe in the way that they dictate rather than looking for somebody who resonates with you from the outset. How do you know who's your it's not someone who resonates. I will tell you like this. You need, to, you need to develop a sense of godliness that's distinct from a sense of personal fulfillment. And, and, you know, it's for most everyday people, this is not really something that you can easily figure out because in order, it's like, 
in order in order to tell whether your soul is becoming more godly, you have to have kind of already a good measure of godliness and see whether that's, that sense of godliness is getting stronger or getting weaker, which can be entirely different from whether you connect to a particular practice. I'll give, just give you an example in learning. How do you know if you're... How do you know when you're when you're learning something if you're doing it properly or you're doing it not properly? So one way to say is well if you're enjoying the process and it's fun and you're experiencing it and like the the style of the book or the teacher really resonates with you then you're doing a good job learning right but is that necessarily the case? No. How do you know if you're doing a good job learning? Is after the process of learning you actually have a clear understanding of the subject matter? But that means you have to be capable of evaluating whether your understanding is clear or not. Now, in the beginning stages, that always easy to figure out. I teach Gemara to people who are beginners. They have a very hard time figuring out whether they're making progress because they don't know what it means to really understand Gemara. So they don't know. Is, 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 am, I, am I actually better than I was before? Like, I feel more confused. So am I actually understanding more? It's hard, to, it's hard in the initial stages of something to develop that. But as a person gets stronger and stronger in that, they become more sensitive and they, so they're kind of able to adjust the measurement of what they're looking at is saying is that they're not measuring how personally fulfilled I am, I'm not measuring how comfortable I am, I'm measuring this other parameter, which is how deeply in touch I am with my godly soul, how much godliness permeates my life. And that's a very, you know, that's a thing that for most people, everyday people, myself included, it's very hard to like gauge for yourself, which is why in most of these stories, the people who are moving around and switching rebbes tend to be people who are on pretty lofty levels of trying to work on their relationship with God, and the regular everyday people seem to kind of just kind of like fall where they may. Rabbi? Yeah. Do you feel confident that you found your tzaddik? I do, but that's a personal thing, right? You know. Yes. How can you find your tzaddik if there are no rebbe's who are alive, and does your tzaddik need to be alive? I'm going to get to that soon. Yeah. So how do people? Like not like live a life of godliness without being connected to a tzaddik. So this is where the chassidim say very controversial things: is that he who is not connected to a tzaddik is not living a godly life. It doesn't mean he's not living a religious life, but it is not godly. Um, godly being spiritual. No, godly being godly. It is yes, it is, it is. <laughs> Which has led, basically since the Baal Shem Tov until now, which has basically led the Hasidic world and the non-Hasidic world to kind of agree to disagree on that point. There is no, now those if you go, this is a difference. In the Hasidic world, and again, this is not unique to Chabad. If you go to any, you have to be careful what you mean by anybody who like, any, any group of Jews that really inculcate these teachings of Baal Shem Tov, they'll say, yeah, this is the truth. And now, you know, which Tzaddik and who, you know, which Tzaddik and how do you connect to them? And I just want to be clear, this is, Although this is, this is true about the Baal Shem Tov and, and the Hasidic movement there, it, it, it's, it's also, there are other parallel things. You definitely have a similar division within the Sephardic world between more, um, you, know, you know, there's a kind of, the, the, the kind of the parallel to this is called the Baba. Do you know what the Baba is? Like the Baba Sali. Like the Baba Sali. So in the Sephardic world, there are a lot of the, the Babas that you have to be connected to a Baba and you have to have a which is kind of loosely a miracle worker, but it's much more than that. It's like your whole relationship with God is through your relationship with this mystical person. That's um, in what? In the Sephardic world. Do they consider them a Yeah. yeah. 
So it's essentially the same. It's a similar idea. In fact, in fact, so much so that that many Hasidic rebbes um, viewed that like people like the Orachim, the Baba Sali, people like that, basically the Sephardic equivalent of more or less what's happening in the Hasidic world. Um, but yeah, I'm not gonna like beat around the bush. There is a, a clear division in terms of ideology, whereas in the Hasidic world, there's an idea that there is a, a tzaddik is necessary to actually have your a sen- this godly sense of your soul, and then a step further, everyone is connected to a tzaddik in some way or some form. The question is how overt and how manifest is it? And in the non-Hasidic world, there was just a flat out no. We disagree. We don't think this is correct. Um, or Chaim, like the guy who wrote the commentary on yeah. the Torah, yeah, yeah, yeah. he was like the Baba Sali. The Orachaim lived at the same time as the Baal Shem Tov, and he knew the Baal Shem Tov's brother-in-law, and they kept trying to meet up, and they kept missing each other, because they felt that if they could meet, they could bring Mashiach together, the Baal Shem Tov and the Orachaim. Oh, you told us oh, that. Which is to say he was very holy. He was pretty holy. Okay. Yeah. They, they, they bumped into each other in heaven, actually. That's what that's what How the or, what, what? How do we know that? Because because the Bashamto's brother in law wrote that he that, that he was speaking to the Rachaim about about his brother in law the Bal and he didn't and he kept mentioning his brother in law and he's like I know Menom and he was very concerned because like if my my brother in law the Balshamtov is such a holy person, how does the Rachaim not know of him? And then he said, Well maybe you know him under the other under a different name. Rabbi Yisrael Balshamtov. And the Orachim says, ah, yes, our souls met in heaven a few times. So it means what happened in the spiritual world, what happened in the physical world. Didn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is that not hard for anyone else? Guys, what? I'm just going to say that in the future when someone's like, do you know my friend from California? I'm going to be like, my soul, our souls met in heaven. Yeah, the difference is that you're, you don't have consciously elevating your mind to the level of your soul in heaven. On the, the Baal Shem Tov and... Come on, Lord, get us together. Why don't you? What are you correct to say that your souls know each other before? No. No. Okay. <laughs> So I wanted to just, uh, so, okay. So I wanted to just get a, yeah, a few others. Okay, so, so non-Hasidim believe that like you can connect to God through your own like Jewish soul. Well, okay. So I'm actually slightly um, misleading you. Because <laughs> no, the non-Hasidim. Not surprised at so, all. So the. the the, the, if we want to be strict about it, now you realize that in real life people are not strict and most people don't like, like clearly develop their whole theology. Like they kind of like have some mush in their minds. But strictly speaking, the non-Hasidic view is that no, you cannot connect to, your, you cannot connect to God without a tzaddik because there's no such thing as connecting to God. There's no such thing as experiencing godliness. There's no such thing as every person really having a godly, every Jew having a godly soul. So it kind of works like this. You have one... They don't even think ever... Really? That was actually one of the controversial things. That's intense. That's a fundamental belief. You have a soul which has a spiritual capacity to grow. And but there's not like the two parts. That, or is that like a piece of God literally? That piece of God literally thing? No. That's a soul. Yeah. yeah. Really? Yeah. But so then what's the difference between what? Jew and non-Jew? What? Yeah. Yaakov is completely adopted. Well, I... Well, first up, base Yaakov has been very influenced by Chassidim. I mean, you have Ger, and you have, oh, Ger actually has a separate base Yaakov, but you have Bells, and you have Vizhnitz, and should we go on the list of all the Chassidic, right? So there's been a lot of bleeding of Chassidic ideas into the non-Chassidic communities. But if you go back to the original few generations, yeah, there was a, what do you mean? What do you mean you could experience godliness? You're not, like, you know, maybe if you're a true Kabbalist, you know, but like regular everyday people, they don't have godly souls. 
So then what's the difference between them and a Jew? What? We do, we just don't recognize that that's what it is. Jews don't have godly souls. But that's what they're referring to. No. This is, so there is a tendency, there is a tendency that we have, especially in the modern world, is to try and say everybody was really always saying the same thing. But no, there really are differences of opinion. So the idea that everybody had... The idea that everybody ha- every Jew has a godly soul and that godly soul is actually godly, right? When the Altar Rebbe quotes the Pasuk at the beginning that the second soul of every Jew is a piece of God from above, he adds the word mamish. The word mamish means literally, meaning I don't mean this as a metaphor, I mean this. And then he goes on to explain it, drawing on Kabbalah and philosophy and the Ramam Tim. Right? So, the, 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 it doesn't mean, so, so there, there is another idea, which is that everybody has something called a, a spiritual soul or a rational soul or some part of them which is able to develop and grow spiritually and ultimately emulate Hashem as much as possible. And, that, and Judaism is about cultivating that potential. But the idea that every Jew actually has a part of God in them that they can access and they can live with and that can permeate their life was a uniquely Hasidic idea. And the idea that in order to connect to a tzaddik, you need a tzaddik in order to really bring that to life was also uniquely a chassidic idea. So it's, it's not that they thought that you could do what chassidus says without a tzaddik, it's just they thought that the thing you can do without, they, they thought the thing that chassidus is saying that tzaddik does doesn't exist. It's like if somebody were to deny that there's such a thing as electricity and there's such a thing as computers, they would also say there's no need to have a plug. Because like, what's the point? Right, so... Now, in real life, especially in the past, you know, say, 100 years, especially, you know, there's been a lot of mixing and bleeding of ideas. Um, but if you go back to some of the, the, the early first, say, three or four generations of the Hasidic movement, the Alter was the third generation, this was a very clear division. Um, the, the, the idea that there's something... So you have to realize, when, like, just to give you an example, the Hasidim that came to the Alter Rebbe the first time, these people were the, were, the, were the cream of the crop of the rabbinic establishment. These are people who, 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 they were Kabbalists, they knew the entire Talmud, they knew the entire Zohar, they knew, and they were coming, and there was, many of them had been students of the Vilna Gon, and they were coming because they had a sense there was something else that they were missing. And that something else was a deeper sense of God that comes to their godly soul. And their sense that how am I gonna get that by going to a Hasidic Rebbe. That's actually how the Alter Rebbe became a Hasid. He wasn't sure should he go to become a chassid or not. And the end of the thing that, that he had a sense that there's this deeper kind of connection which isn't just in scholarship and isn't just in good character. There's some other quality of, that I'm missing and I'm going to go find out what that is. Yeah. Could it be that someone, like, for example, like I've never met the Rebbe physically, but like, I feel a connection to him, but someone can feel the connection to like, a Friedrich Rebbe or something, or it's like the most recent... I, 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 I don't want to answer that right now because... I want to I want to cover a few points and then I'll I think what I'm gonna say will 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 suffice and you'll have to like figure out the rest for yourself. Okay. Yeah. Um. Obviously, biased experience because I spend time in Chabad circles, but I hear a lot about Hasidic ideas that have bled into the Litvish world. Are there any Litvish or whatever misnagdi ideas that have bled into the Hasidic world, or is it a one-way kind of bleeding? Well. <laughs> It, well, I mean, the word misnagin means anti-Hasidist. So it's kind of hard if, like, your ideology is just... It's like, if, no, it's like if, if somebody's ideology is like this. My ideology is that I'm in favor of cookies. And my ideology is I'm anti-cookies. Mm-hmm. As long as you're still in favor of cookies, like, how do the anti-cookies... 
No, but you can you can kind of get like let's say the person who's anti cookies believes that cookies are unhealthy. So yeah. the uh, the person who likes cookies could start eating only oatmeal raisin cookies. So here's the thing. Here's the thing. In terms of ID, in terms of in terms of ideology, in terms of ideology, no. But in terms of practices, yes. Like what? Like for instance, that in um, many early Hasidic communities. The, you, the idea was that if you're not the Rebbe, then we're all equal. And some communities have kind of moved back towards a more formal hierarchy where the rabbis carry more weight and more respect. Um, so there, there's cultural bleeding. And but that's a litfish it, it's idea? It's not litfish. This thing is like, you, there was not a real litfish. I don't know what the word is. If you think about that, if Hasidus is innovative, then they had everything. Right, that's what I'm saying. It wasn't, it wasn't like... There were there some things that went really extreme in the early generations of Hasidus and kind of like moved back to the middle, but there wasn't like, it, you see what I'm saying? Like, like Hasidus came on and introduced something new, that you have a godly soul and you connect to got your godly soul through a connection to a tzaddik. And so that stuff was already there. It wasn't like, okay. you see what I'm saying? It's not, so it's not like, you're not taking from that analogy. Culturally, certain things, you know, certain, certain um, you know, you know, certain Hasidic, like, this is true somewhat today, even in Chabad, that rabbis don't carry the same respect in Chabad that they do, like, in Litvish circles. Right. But in other communities. So there were, I'll give you one, one example. So, so one of the things, which is like an entirely, I'm not going to explain why this is, but Hasidim were known for not being careful about the times for davening, for prayer. So, ironically, I know this might shock people, is that Chabad was always traditionally the one that was the most careful of all the Hasidic groups. Um, and then like Ger was, was a Hasidic group and they were notorious for not caring at all what time it is so, so people would just go to work and they come up at 3 in the morning and Davin Shachris yeah and so I think it was 3 Ger Rebbe's ago he basically put a stop to this 3 in the morning at Shachris for the last time it was AM? what? like 3 AM davening for the no, last no. Shachris of the no last no no they would come home like 3 o'clock in the afternoon and Davin Shachris for the morning oh, 3 o'clock in the afternoon yeah 3 o'clock yeah, yeah, I'm not saying, I just, he asked about something where it switched back. So one of the Gare I think it was the third, three, three Gare ago, he basically put an end to this, and now in Gare they dive in at seven in the morning, and that's that. Um, so there has been, when you talk about cultural and practice things, then you can see shifts back and forth. But in ideology, it wasn't like, there was not a distinct ideology. The Mstagdim tried to come up with kind of one as like a response to the Chassidus, but never really caught yeah. on. And it just, it feels like, not just saying there was a new ideology to which people responded, but like there were actual arguments being made, and it feels like saying that that, that argument was just straight up inferior. And now people. I'm not saying it's. Inf- I'm, I'm not. Well, I mean, I'm biased. What I'm just right. going to say is that there was there wasn't a well developed competing ideology. There was just like no, we don't agree with this new ideology. Okay. So now, like even a lot of things which are known as quote Litvish ideology, if you start doing the genealogy, like one famous person is Rabbi Dessler. Um, so basically, he said that his main Rebbe and inspiration was the Alter Rebbe Tanya. So, and he's like generally one of the go-to thinkers in the non-Hasidic world for, yeah. So I'm saying if you start to trace the genealogy, it doesn't, of ideas, there are, but it's not like, I mean, part of, part of one of the main criticisms that the, the early non-Chassidim had against the Chassidim was that Judaism is not a religion of theology to begin with. We're just supposed to do mitzvahs and study Torah, so what are you making making it all theological anyway? Okay. So like making, you do, then having a well-developed theology would be kind of counterproductive. I would say that when like the Rambam was 
that's one of the Altebah writes in a letter, like, like, well, if you're going to burn our books and accuse us of being overly theological, I guess that puts us in the Cain camp in the Rambam. Yeah, so. Yeah, the, they burned the, the first books of the Balshanto's teachings were burned by Jews. It got pretty intense. But that's, the the Talmud, the Rambam was also Jews? burned. What? In the Bani, wasn't the Bani of the Talmud like, ignited by Jews? Sort of. I don't want to get into that. Okay, we have more to cover. Did they not consider that to be like Torah? No, they didn't. So they were fine with burning it? I'll, I'll tell you what else story. The Alter ever went to meet one of the great leaders of the Misnagdim in a meeting to try and like create some peace. By the way, they, by the end of the Alter ever's life, they basically had agreed to disagree and like move on because there were bigger issues to fight. Like Pogroms? Well, not pogroms were always in, but the new issues were like enlightenment and coming from the West. So the Alter so one of the, um, so he had a, so this person had taken a, um, a book of Hasidic teachings. I think it was from, I think it was the Noam Ali Malch, but I don't remember. One of, one of the other Hasidic Rebbe's, one of his books, this person had taken it, was using it as a footstool to show how little regard he had for Hasidic teachings. They thought they were worthless. And um, so he did this in front of the Alter and the Alter said, Alter what do you think? And Alter said, if you took the author and used him as a footstool, it also wouldn't bother him. Meaning he was so selfless, he had so, low, so, he had so little ego that he wouldn't even object to his own self being denigrated, much less his book. And that kind of shook this person up because he expected the Alter to get all offended. But uh, look, life is complicated. So it's not correct to say that the Misnagdim or Narchsidim thought that you could connect to your godly soul. It's just they had a different conception of what it's all about. You know, arranging everything from as, everything as pathetic as it's all about getting to heaven and getting candies in heaven to more profound ideas. It's about learning to complete your human potential and in such you're emulating God. But the idea that you have an innate God at the essence within you automatically and Judaism is about tapping into that and bring that out, that wasn't how they conceived of what Judaism is. So the idea that you need a Rebbe to do that is like beside the point. So, Okay, I want to tell... Another quick story about, and then I want to make another point that we need to move on. There was a Jew, and I forget his name. His first name. No, his name, his name was not bad. His, name was, his last name is Lasky. He's still alive. And he grew up religious in um, the 50s and 60s in America. And then he, as they say, went off the derech. And was very. He was in a band. <laughs> Our kind of guy. <laughs> and he was in a band, um, and he goes very. And he was like very successful with his band. Um, he got to the point that he was opening for the Rolling Stones and touring with them. So you might have heard this story. And he was also getting into like Eastern mysticism and probably a bunch of other stuff that goes along with that scene. And he was, became close to Schleich in Buffalo, New York. If I remember correctly. And, the, and he had all these theological questions and mystical things. And the shleach in New York was, he's, I think he's still alive. He was a very wise man. He said, go to the Rebbe. <laughs> and um, he goes to the Rebbe. And instead of having an audience, he was told that he can like, kind of catch the Rebbe on his way into 770 in the morning. So he waits outside 770. And the car pulls up. And the Rebbe walks out. It's the middle of the winter. And he's... he's he describes how the Rebbe came out and he saw this distinguished looking you know, middle-aged rabbi. And he, you know, as he's walking up, he steps in front of him and he asks, and this is all in Yiddish because he spoke Yiddish from his, from, from his parents, um, are you the Lubavitcher Rebbe? 
And the Rebbe makes the notion that, yeah. <laughs> and he says, can I ask you a question? And the Rebbe says, ask. And so he says, and he describes, like, the thing that people usually describe often when they encounter the Rebbe, that like, the Rebbe's eyes like penetrated and the whole like scene melted away and like he couldn't feel the cold anymore. It was like, but, so he, he, he asked the Rebbe, where's God? And the Rebbe says, in every, everywhere and in everything. And then he responds to the Rebbe and says, I know, but where is God? And the Rebbe says to him, in every stone and in every tree. Which parenthetically was one of the things that the Misnagdim accused Chassidim about saying that God is in every stone and every tree. It's somehow a heretical idea. Anyway, um, and then he says, I know, but where is God? And the Rebbe says, if this is the way you're asking, that means he's in your heart. And then he says, can I switch to English because I have a more profound question. My Yiddish isn't that good. Never says, yeah. So he says, we say in Shema, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem our God, Hashem Echad, Hashem is one. But why is he only our God? Now this was the 60s, so I'm going to say it the way he said it. What about the black man and what about the Indian? And the Rebbe said, the essence of the black man is to be who he is as a black man. The essence of the Indian is to be who he is as an Indian. And the essence of a Jew is to be bound up with God Almighty through Torah and mitzvahs. You should go buy yourself Kitzur Shulchan Aruch, the abbreviated code of Jewish law, and start putting on tefillin every day. That was the end of the conversation. He said for six weeks he didn't do anything, then he bought a Kitzur Shulchan Aruch and started learning it and put on tefillin. Now he's religious, he lives in Chicago, he has kids and grandkids already. And... Now, why am I, aside from the fact it's a cool story, why is this relevant here? What's the whole exchange? What's happening in this exchange? Is that the godly soul that's in this person, Lasky, is being rejuvenated and reawakened and enlivened and being fortified through his connection with the Rebbe. And then what's very important is the Rebbe doesn't say, okay, now you need to come back to me every five minutes or every six to get another injection. What does he say? The way to hold on to this and the way to maintain this is through mitzvahs. Okay? Which leads me to think the, the innovation that the altar have introduced in the Hasidic world, which most of the Hasidic rabbis were opposed to in principle, was that you don't need to maintain a relationship through a tzaddik through an actual physical human relationship. You can maintain a relationship through the mind. That, that if you can... You, the tzaddik can teach you how to think like he thinks, how to view the world the way he views the world, and then you can do that, and through that you maintain that connection. In other words, that the relationship is not built upon the tzaddik um, infusing you with this deep sense of God and awakening your godly soul, but it's through the, the tzaddik and you kind of operating as a team, as a pair which means the tzaddik has to train you, he has to educate you, he has to imbue his own being into something that you can digest and internalize. And therefore the way for a tzaddik to do that is to transform the experience of this relationship and turn it into something that can be intellectualized, comprehended, processed. And that's why, he called it, that's why it's called, called chzis chabad, where chabad means the intellect. And most of the chzidic rabbis were opposed to this. They had a fear that once you start telling people to think too much, they're going to become intellectuals and they're going to not be in touch with their godly side. And this goes back to what we said in the beginning of Tanya, but there's in the long way and the short way. 
So what the Alter Rebbe is saying here is about being connected. You can be connected by, you know, having a in physical interaction. You can be connected by, by, um, by going and seeing the person. You can be connected. And there are many ways of being connected, but what the Alter Rebbe wanted is that the ultimate connection is that you should become you should be you, you should become part of their worldview. That you way you perceive yourself is the way they perceive you. The way you perceive your the world is the way they perceive the world. And in doing that, you kind of have bottled up your tzaddik and take them with them take them with you wherever you go. Okay. Now so therefore in the answer to the question, do you need a living tzaddik or do you not need a living tzaddik? Certainly, if you, the, the tzaddik is taking this kind of an approach where he bottles himself up into his worldview, it doesn't matter whether the tzaddik is still physically walking the earth. No. Now, are there other ways that a tzaddik would relate and those, if they're not physically around, are lacking? Sure. The okay. eating food thing? The eating food thing is kind of hard to do unless you can somehow get some of their food after they've died, which you can do. That sounds terrible. What does that mean? Well, food that they ate while they were alive, you mean? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. So now, if you want more information about tzaddik after they're alive, while they're alive, the difference is, um, in the back of the Tanya, in the section called the Geras HaKodesh, there's an, uh, a letter, which is a letter 27, which explains this idea at great length. And there is a book... I don't know. There's a Hasidic Heritage series book with a series of discourses about this. Yeah, I don't remember what it's called in English. And there's also a series of books of talks of the Rebbe called Proceeding Together, which was about how people can maintain their connection to the sixth Chabad Rebbe after he passed. So at least in Chabad, there's a tradition of being able to do this even after Tzaddik has passed. Um, different Hasidic communities have different approaches depending on how the Tzaddik would make himself available. Okay. There are Hasidic communities where they don't connect to a Rebbe who's passed away anymore? Not directly, no. What if they're allowed between two rabbis? That has always been a, a, a very stressful issue. The, the great chassidim of any rabbi have always had a hard time moving on to the next rabbi. That has traditionally always been a problem, um, which makes for a lot of good gossip. But the, <laughs> okay. But the chassidim had such an issue when they didn't, when the rabbi like, didn't take up the role, but if they were like okay with like, the Friedrich rabbi being there, Tzaddik to hold on to. They were okay, they weren't okay. Because if they had the Friedrich Rebbe as their, this is their Tzaddik and this is their Rebbe that they're holding on to, and then they like wanted the Rebbe to take on the new role. So look, different people had different attitudes. I, I don't want to get into this. So, there, there were definitely those people who said like, I, me and the Friedrich Rebbe were fine, but like the younger Chassidim need a Rebbe. There were definitely people that had that attitude. Okay. Um, look, there's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, interesting things. But this is... I think I think there there are ways of trying to downplay this idea of a rebbe to the point that like it becomes kind of banal, and then there's the idea of like pretending that it's that it's perfectly normative. And I think the truth is to say that this is one of the revolutionary controversial ideas in Chassidus, and the Alter Rebbe is trying to give it some rigor so we understand more how it works and giving it its basis how it works in Kabbalah and the idea of the godly soul. And there's a lot more that's developed. And the Rebbe really fleshed this idea out as he does most things. But at the end, and there are differences between the Chabad approach and non-Chabad approaches and all that being said, but that's, that's what it is. And it's very important to understand this does not correlate to how religious or you know, observant of Torah misses or how much Torah somebody knows. Um, okay, fine. So let me quickly summarize everything we've learned. 
You have a godly soul, every Jew is a godly soul. The godly souls are as godly as God. They're all equally godly, although they manifest it differently. And we maintain the connection to that godly, that, that godly soul maintains its godliness by being connected to these so-called head souls or tzaddikim. And each tzaddik has their way of connecting to them. Um, and one has to connect to the right kind of, the right tzaddik, because if you try and connect to the wrong tzaddik, your souls don't always line up. Okay? Head souls need to be connected to head souls. The previous Rebbe, the one, I'll, I'll tell you a better story. The Rebbe once said, some, there was one point that the Rebbe was speaking very emphatically about the importance of maintaining um, safety um, let me just get the, those details right. Oh, no, this was a... There was someone who was criticizing there, but very heavily about the idea of reaching out to every Jew and saying that this is a destructive thing and it's going to destroy... It's... it's, it's, it's and it's still using very sharp language. It's anti-God, it's anti-Torah, it's anti-the Baal Shem Tov, it's anti-Chassidus. Like very, very, very extreme language criticizing the, the, what the Rebbe was doing about trying to send out shluchim, everyone reach everybody. And as a general, the Rebbe used to ignore things like this, but this person just kept building and started getting a whole movement and things got... And so Rebbe, this is the way it seems to me, at a certain point felt that he needed to put an end to this. And like realize like this is not. Um, and so the Rebbe says he shouldn't. He, the, Rebbe, the, Rebbe, the Rebbe would never mention people by name when he was when he was criticizing them. He would always say speak and in, in uh, with the pronoun he. You like which is annoying when you read things that the Rebbe says and you don't know the background. Like he says and you're like you don't know who's they see. So the Rebbe says he should know that if he starts up with me, he's starting up with the one I'm connected to, which is the previous Rebbe. And with his father, the Rebbe Shab, then he listed all the Chabad Rebbeim, and he's starting up with the Magad of Mezrich, and the and the and the Baal Shem Tov, and the Baal Shem Tov's teacher Achia Shiloini, who's one of the real Chassidus, and the one he was connected to, God Himself. Hmm. Meaning, I want to be clear: this is what you're doing, and that was published in like the local Jewish newspapers in Yiddish, and um, let's just, let let's just say. There was an agreement to disagree after that, but a lot of the criticism, like, so there were there were times where the Rebbe said things like that, but they were pretty rare. Yeah. Generally, the Rebbe like did not like talking about himself. That how he's directly connected to God. That that's even rare. What if you're born into like a Chabad family and you don't really connect to the Rebbe, but you do connect to like the Satma Rebbe? Would it be more important that you try to connect with the Chabad Rebbe or just try to connect with whichever tzaddik speaks to you? Well, so that would never happen. <laughs> because the Satna Rebbe emphatically doesn't hold himself as a true Chassidic Rebbe. <laughs> this, the the Satmar ideology is that this teach, these teachings of the Balshentov are no longer accessible and are lost to history. So yeah, so so you would have to you would, to make it to make it so this is so 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 here so here's the thing so here's the thing 
Historically, it's a perfectly legitimate question. There have been happens, and people do that, and I don't judge people. At present, it doesn't seem to occur, because for some reason, um, let's just say very few people who are, maybe take the title of Rebbe, seem to, well, I put this. It seems to be in the past 20 to 25 years, there's been a bleeding out of other Hasidic movements that their Rebbe's seem to not be doing what the books say a Rebbe's supposed to be doing in the sense of making them feel godly and connecting them to God. So like, at present, it just seems like an unusual thing to happen. But like if it happened, like I don't judge people because I'm not them and I don't know who they, what's going on inside of them. But um, usually, it, 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 the, the, you know. Now, if you're talking about connecting to teachings of people long past, that's already more interesting. Then you have all sorts of people doing all sorts of stuff. And, you know. I'll keep my personal well, opinions. Maybe it would. Maybe it wouldn't. Like, what if someone really feels connected to like, So here's the thing. Here's the thing. I, 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 if you're going to push for me to say that it's okay or it's not okay, you're not going to get that answer out of my head because <laughs> out of my mouth. I'm not going to say that because the thing is, what I'm going to say is that you first need to know what you're trying to accomplish. If you're looking for somebody's teachings who make you feel good about being Jewish, and that's your standard, then Whatever, whatever you find that works, works. If you're talking about something that's a little bit more, that, more along this, then you first have to ha- be able to evaluate that. You have to have a, a, some kind of a, a sense of what it is you're looking for. Again, most times, most people, they're looking for some cross between spiritual elevation and personal fulfillment, you know, comfort and solace, something like along that. And if you find stuff like that and that gets you to do more Torah mitzvahs, like, by all means, like, fine. But that's not what this is talking about. This is talking about something that's much deeper. Okay? And, you know, if you claim to have found it somewhere else, I'm not going to, how am I to judge? So, I'm not going to say anything more than that. Yeah. If there's people that have, like, several robbers that they have a connection to and they learn the different teachings of them, are they just confusing themselves? Depends. If if you take different teachings as kind of a basically, there's two ways of taking teachings. One way of taking teachings is that you kind of basically just use whatever works to inspire you, to motivate you to get to to, to do Torah mitzvahs on a day by day basis. So then, you know, it really doesn't matter what you're doing. But if you're talking about different teachings and trying to actually integrate them into your lives and implement them, then no, because different, then you can't start mixing and matching because different teachings are sometimes mutually exclusive. I'll just give you one simple example. Um, Should a person, when they have a negative thought, think about the spiritual source of that negative thought as a way of cleansing themselves from the negative thought? The Alter Rebbe is emphatic that one should not do that. And there are other Hasidic rabbis who are emphatic that you should do that. And you can't, you can't engage in that practice and integrate into your life and then also abstain from it at all costs. Like, it just doesn't work. Um, think there, there are techniques that are mutually exclusive. And so as you move from reading books to inspire you to just keep what it says in Shulchan Aruch to actually implementing more, for lack of words, spiritual techniques, then yeah, things run across purposes. And, you know, there are certain, there are certain meditative techniques that are like cultivating them 
makes it harder to makes it harder if not impossible to do other techniques and vice versa. And so you just if you're really going to have that kind of a really rigorous approach, then then you're not going to be able to. But if you're talking about ideas which are basically meant to motivate you to just do more mitzvahs and avoid sitting, so then like you know you can be eclectic. It's not going to really make a difference. Yeah. This whole thing about being connected is equally true for men and women, right? Yes. Um, for women who are, has it been a, like a historical phenomenon for women to marry out of one Hasidic sect into another one? So are, are those women, is something like cosmically shifting in their souls where like so, the household followed this Rebbe, now the household follows this Rebbe? Um, so, there, so, yes. That's cool. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> One of, the, one, of, one, of the, one of the one of the changes that the sixth Chabad Rebbe instituted was that women should be chassidim in their own right and have a connection with the tzaddik in their own right, not just merely as part of their husband's family. It just feels so like really. after only after they get married or before also. Before also. That just feels like. I mean, and in that sense, like, could that woman, could a Chabad woman then really marry, like, a breast lover guy, or I don't know, I don't want to say Satmar now, but like... I'll put it to you like this, I'll put it to you like this. There tends to be two kinds of marriages okay. that work. There are marriages where people get married young, and there are marriages where people get married older. Marriages where people get married young, you really, this is what I'm saying is very general. You really need them to kind of develop one clear set of values and, and perspectives and everything. Like you, when people get married older, for any number of reasons, there tends to be a lot of, in the marriage, of having to give room, you do your thing and I'll do my thing. Mm-hmm. In other words, there's a kind of intimacy that in general you can only create when people get married young and their personality is not fully developed. So I happen to know people that like, it's a second marriage for them and she's like a, in very intense Chabad woman, and he's a beyond chassid, and like okay, like you do your thing and I'll do my thing. We we get along. We enjoy having a shop. Like it's a different kind of a, you know, when you have people in, you know getting married in their forties and fifties and second marriages, it's a different kind of thing. But you're talking getting married young, and one is really devoted here, and the other, it, it tends to overall tend to create a lot of friction. Does that have anything to do with the children element? Like when you have probably, your children, probably. Probably, I mean, this family that I know. Um, it's the thing they have different children. Some are Chabad and some are not, depending, like, like because um, the uh, because when they got married, so she was very insistent that if they had any kids together, she would send them to Chabad schools. And he was like, okay, like, because in beyond, they don't really care. Like, go oh, this school, go to that school. It's not a big deal to me, one way or the other. So you want to send the kids to Chabad schools? Send them to Chabad schools. Well, they have children together. So they have like two. They have two children together. They got married when they were like forty or something. They have two children okay. and. Um, they're Chabad, but then all the, all the half-siblings from the previous marriage are all not Chabad. So I'm not saying it's impossible, but it's a different dynamic of marriage. I mean, you, if you, it's like, can you, have people who are, can you have people who are religious and not religious be married together? And the answer is, you know... But that, okay, but that feels like way more of a stretch, maybe. It ends up being the same dynamic, which is, can you really make space for somebody to, have re, to have, be very different on fundamental things? And when you talk about people getting, getting married and starting out together as young, it's very hard to develop that kind of dynamic. People who have been married for a long time or getting married later in life, that dynamic is more common. Okay. 
I'm not saying it's impossible. I'm just saying, like, you know. And by that plot, her cosmic, nothing cosmically changed with her soul. I have no idea. There's a limit to how much I know about cosmic stuff. (laughs) Really? Yes. How does it work to connect to a female head? Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, there are. Yeah, like there the are. So the Altair had a daughter named Freda who was a head soul. Ooh, nice. um, yeah. I the most extreme example, and this was pretty rare, was a was a um, woman. I forgot her name, but basically she was a female Hasidic rebbe. I don't remember her name right now. Um, and she was yeah. She, she was, was a Hasidic rebbe. So cool. Yes. Yes. In what, what is, is that not me, like to, is that not dangerous? Well, no. I mean, to be fair, she was very from. So, for instance, that any time men would meet with her, she was behind a mechitza. There was like a <laughs> solid mechitza. So you would, like confession. She was a kabbalist <laughs> and a mystic, and like, and she was really super from, like, 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 like insanely from. Um, and she was by no <laughs> means was what. This? She married. She I, got married later on. She got, she stopped becoming, she stopped being a rebel. Right, when she got married later on. How long ago was this? In the mid-1800s. Oh. What's her name, Freda? I don't remember. No, the Altareva had a daughter named Freda. Oh, Miranda. And he would, say, he would say discourses uniquely to her, and then, like, the chassidim, if they wanted to get that, they had to get it from her. It was... Uh... Wasn't there another Rebbe that had a daughter? There were a lot of Rebbe's had a daughter. No, but no, that, like... They, <laughs> <laughs> they had children. No, that, like, they used to get the... How did Jews do Learning. Who's a Balshemto's daughter? Balshemto's daughter had daughter named Adol. Yeah. So th- th- there's there's definitely the, the the answer is yes. Um, as a general rule, as a general because <laughs> as a general because of the Torah's view that women should not take overtly public positions, which I know I shouldn't have said that without as just as a thumb. but that is the general Torah view. So it plays out with different social dynamics. That's why. Yeah, so general. Public? Yeah, public. Uh, well, I mean, public as in like. Kings, right. heads of. So not religious, but there's, but there's women prophets. Any, what? But what about the women prophets? There was one woman prophet who had a public queen. position, and that was the exception, not the rule. And that was a woman queen. Right. But like being a rebbetzin to a rabbi who was a head soul. What? Yeah. Like the Rebbitzin doesn't make her a head soul. Being married, being you know, it's like this. Being married to a Rebbe doesn't automatically make you a head soul. Although Rebbes try to marry, and try to marry people who are. Do we know about the Rebbitzin? Yes, because Rebbe spoke about her. And he said that she was a head soul. Yes. Wait, who? They. Yeah. The Rebbitzin. Yes. The Rebbe's wife. The Rebbitzin. Yeah. Yes. Um. The. She was. She was. Yeah. The the yeah. The. What? Let me put it to you this way. You already asked the question about head souls needing to be connected to head souls. Yeah. So when the Rebbitzin passed away, the Rebbe kind of stopped doing a lot of Rebbe stuff. What did he stop? He, he stopped for bringing during weekdays. There's no we're no more weekday for bringings. The Rebbe basically stopped saying Hasidic discourses. Because um, he was connected to her. It, he didn't ever say this, but the implication of the, the, the third Chabad Rebbe, the Tzemach Tzedek, also did something. He also outlived his wife, and he was explicit about it, that he needs her, and so he basically ret- he basically retreated very much from functioning as her. Like, he was still there, but he, he stopped saying discourses. He was... Um, Doesn't yeah. that make them... <laughs> 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 
Well, this goes back to what I was saying is that there's no overall strict hierarchy that everybody thinks depends on everybody else. And if you pull something, there's no such, that, that's a sign that something is holy. If something doesn't depend on anything outside itself, it's not, there's no holiness. Were they the only two they were the only two Rebbeim who outlived their wives. They were named the same. They were both. They were both. They were both the sons' laws of history. There's a lot of interesting parallels between them. Um, How would you determine like? I don't determine anything. I want to be clear. I have no way of knowing other thing other than people who are prophetic. I have no idea. If I want to be very clear, the only way I know any of this stuff is because people who have prophecy said it, and I'm repeating it to you. Otherwise, I have zero. I don't have a special sensor. There's no way for me to figure this out. Because, because. The people had a sense that the Rebbe is godly, like the, like. And people did a sense of this before, like the, the, the I don't know. It's like, like in the Rebbe's world, the world begins and ends with the Torah. Like there really isn't anything else in a way that just didn't exist by anybody else. There's no anyway. Okay, fine. The last little bit, which we're not going to be learning inside of the chapter. Okay. At all ever. At all ever. He said, okay. Okay. The last little bit refers to the idea that since the godly soul is entirely godly, it has nothing to do with your human parents. Which means who your parents are does not in any way indicate what kind of godly soul you're going to have. That's nice. What? Like everyone tells you the opposite. Your mom has to be a Jew. It has to also have. Jewish. That's just that you have. One second. <laughs> yes, That's just that you have a godly soul, and that she has not very little to do with your parents. It has much more to do. With, yeah. Wait, didn't we just say that the essence of your godly soul is the essence of your father's god? No. No, well, there was an minute. there was an analogy between the human and the godly, but they're not the same thing. Just like the human essence comes from your father, the godly essence comes from your father, except it's a different father. Oh, okay. So one the is the one, actually nothing Right, there's one father, and then there's the father in heaven, two different fathers, yes. Yeah. What? Christian. Well, yeah. it's a Jewish phrase. They took it from us. Yeah, but it's, it's weird. Okay. It does make me feel Okay, I do need to say The issue is that Kabbalah says that the level of your soul det- is determined by your parents, which is the exact opposite of what I just said. Yeah. Kabbalah says this, which contradicts everything that we've just learned. Wait, so who says the godly soul is entirely godly? The And then Kabbalah says that the, the thing that determines the level of your godly soul is your parents. your parents. And specifically, how your parents, what kind of state of mind they have when they conceive you. Oh, I've heard this. Oh, okay. That's where the garment resolution Okay, and so the Altarebbe says is that this is actually not referring to your godly soul per se. It's referring to how easy it is for you to get in touch with your godly soul. There is a garment, there is a veil, which what that means is some people are more sensitive to religious, spiritual matters and some people are not, Okay. If you want to think of it like this, there's like how bright is the light and then how thick is the curtain over the light. Does the spirituality affect them the same way regardless? No. It works both ways. Their awareness of their soul and how much their soul influences them all is de- depends on how thick 
this. No, I'm saying this spiritually from God. Yeah. So it's like God affects them the same way. You mean like God? Spiritual God, godliness affects them like in the same way. Just what do? You, how connected they are and how. Much I, they I don't know. What you mean connect? How you mean God affects them the same way? I'm not sure what you mean by that. I'm saying like. The godly soul is wrapped in, is wrapped in a layer. That layer, both makes it hard for both separates it from your consciousness and also it serves as a barrier between it and God it's like if you have something you wrap it up so nobody can get at it that barrier can be more transparent that barrier can be more opaque what determines how transparent and opaque it is your parents mindset when you can you are conceived is this that have to do with the I was conceived in sin yes which means if you were conceived by parents who are not, let's put it this, mindful of anything other than their own personal satisfaction and what they were doing, that creates a very coarse covering for your soul. If you, the parents were in some kind of state of spiritual enlightenment when they conceived you, then you have a very transparent. So for instance, the Rambam, and this I know from Kabbalah, not because I read it, the Rambam did not have the loftiest soul. Which one? The Rambam, Maimonides. He did not have a head soul in the sense of a soul coming from Atsilos, from the loftiest levels. But what made the Rambam so special was that he was conceived in such a way that he had easy access to his soul. So he having a relationship with his godly soul was the most natural thing. So there's actually two parameters. There's your godly soul itself. What way can it be manifest? And there's another thing, which is, is there a barrier covering it over that makes it harder to access? And this is, this is what, why we see some people are more sensitive to spiritual religious matters and some people are less sensitive. Now, it's not that your parents, the way the mindset they have when you is the only factor, it's just a determining factor. It's the factor that determines where things start. Many things can happen to change that. So if it starts out very coarse, it could be refined. If it starts out very refined, it could become more coarse. But the starting natural sensitivity to your soul is determined by your parents. Those of us who know that um, we were conceived by parents who are having a grand old time. Right, which um, basically means life. basically <laughs> means nine nine point nine nine percent of human beings, right? right? Is okay. there anything we're supposed to do with that information? No. It's just a fun fact about you. In fact, more than that, it's you not know. only something you're not supposed to do with that information. Um, <laughs> this is this is something that you shouldn't d- dwell too much on because it, it because it, it just it. There's an idea in Judaism which is you can look forward and you can't look backwards. So, now, th- there are things that you can do to make that more spirit yourself more sensitive to your soul. I don't know okay. any details, but I know they weren't religious. <laughs> um, what? Okay. Um, and we are going to talk about those later in Tanya. But basically, that's nothing too drastic and too crazy. Um, but, so... The, the way parents conceive children does influence what the children are going to have to deal with in terms of their own spiritual lives. And so in terms of the not looking backwards, looking forwards, this is why in Torah you maybe shouldn't reflect too much on your parents, but as you go on to having your own children, that is something to take into consideration. What advantages and disadvantages you want to confer upon your children. Beyond that, I'm not going to say anything more about it because I don't think there's any reason to say anything more about it. So the Alter Rebbe and Kabbalah would both say that your soul itself is not influenced by your parents, but the layer around the soul. Right, that's how he resolves it. Right. And then that layer makes it, it's like a barrier? It's a barrier, yeah. God. 
but it, it, it could be, it could be, it, it could, it, it's, it, it, it's the, it's, it's the line of connection. So it could be more, it could be more disruptive or it could be smoother. Okay. So the, the, the example that's always used is that the Rambam, his sense of his soul was so clear and so natural. So he never really struggled to access his soul. It was the most intuitive thing for him. Um, and on the other hand, you could have someone with a very lofty soul who's born to very um, coarse parents who conceived him in a very coarse manner and would have a very hard time accessing his soul. But that soul has a tremendous godly potential. So a good example of that would be someone like say Rabbi Akiva, who was a very lofty soul, but for the first 40 years of his life, not only was he not religious, he hated, he hated Torah scholars. Do you know how much he hated Torah scholars? That when he saw one, he wanted to bite them like a donkey. <laughs> like a donkey. And so his disciples later on said, why like a donkey? He said, because when a dog bites, they only break the skin. But when a donkey bites, they break bones. That's how much he hated Torah scholars. And he went from that to being Rabbi Akiva. So, so you can have a very lofty soul. Okay? In fact, one of the things that we know, in Ju- one of the things that Kabbalah says in Judaism is that some of the worst sinners in Jewish history, some of the worst sinners in Jewish history had a very lofty soul, but their, but their access to it was covered over. Is that Korach? Esau. Esau is a classic example, but I'm going to mention Wait, another. Wait, but Esau and Yaakov were conceived together. What? Right. Yeah, because I remember there's other things you can do to that to cover it over more. Okay. That is not my wife, don't worry. <laughs> All of our hearts dropped. <laughs> okay. I'm just gonna I'm gonna give you one example. Um, the Hasidic Rebbe said some that about Moses Mendelssohn. Anyone heard of Moses Mendelssohn? He was the brainchild that began the Jewish Enlightenment and began reform. So the Hasidic tradition is that he had a very lofty soul that went very, very off. Because the loftier soul is, it could also then for because everyone has free will, go the opposite direction. Yes, and then I have my announcement to make. So, it affects the ease with which you spiritually connect and also the mode, or that's totally separate? No, just the ease. The ease. Okay. Tomorrow, yes. Tomorrow, 